Welcome to Virgin Territories, a podcast by the CSPH. Each episode, we bring you new guests, new topics, and ask all the questions you're dying to know. Without further ado, please welcome your host, Viva Manfredo. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Virgin Territory. Today, we'll be discussing neurodiversity during this time of quarantine. Our guests today are the CSPH chair, Erica, and her husband, Sam. Would you two like to tell us a little bit more about you and what you do? You want to go first, love? No, no, you go ahead. Oh, I'm going first. I can see how you do it. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, hi, podcast land. My name is Erica Busillo Adams. And as Atticus mentioned, I'm the chair of the board for the Center for Sexual Pleasure and Health. I'm also the director of development for Providence Public Library. Um, and a, a consummate non-profiteer, I suppose. <laughs> All right. And I'm Sam Adams, um, the uh, patriot as well as the brewer. Uh, and my uh, Untrue. <laughs> <laughs> in my day job, I'm the uh, Director of Emergency Management and Assistant Director of Public Safety for the University of Rhode Island. I'm also a PhD student uh, with the URI Department of Marine Affairs. Uh, so I never have a dull moment. And we have um, two kiddos at home. They are 14 and almost 16, um, a, a lumbering and very sweet black lab named Gomez Adams, and an ever-meowing tabby cat <laughs> named Rosemary Clooney. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. <laughs> and I just wanted to clarify, Gomez is actually my dog, and you just keep it forever. I, I, I was just talking to the biology department at URI the other day about having him cloned. I'll like take the first phone. You like Dolly the sheep. <laughs> Great. Uh, so welcome to our very first episode. Um, so what we wanted to talk to today, to talk to you today, is um, the quarantine, the what's going on in the world, and how does that, that affect your relationship and how you're coping with it, given um, the fact that you are in neurodiverse. I get hung up on that word. Uh, We'll have to cut that out. <laughs> Don't shake no. your head. Um, it's a hard word. It is a hard word. Uh, I forgot what I was saying. What was I saying? You were talking about the the quarantine and how that's affected Sam and I being in a neurodiverse relationship. Perfect. That's exactly what I wanted to say. <laughs> Uh, so what we wanted to talk to you, you about today is the current thing and the current affairs and how that's affected your relationship and your daily lives, given that you're neurodiverse and your family as well. Uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm Would gonna... it be helpful for you, Sam, to sort of maybe give a little bit of background into your diagnosis with ASD? And Sure. Um, would that be helpful, y'all? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So... Uh, well, I've always been a little bit sort of uh, often quirky. Um, I was diagnosed in 2012 with, uh, actually, no, I guess early 2013, whatever, with um, Asperger's, or what's now referred to as high-functioning autism. So it means that uh, basically the best way to describe it was the psychologist who did the testing and diagnosed me when she, gave, when she went over my test results. That basically, statistically speaking, if you're in a room with 99 other random people, you're statistically likely to be smarter than 98 of them, but the least well-equipped of anybody to deal with that situation. So that's my Aspergian background. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so when did the stay-at-home order affect you and your family? 
when did that all start? So I guess for, first week of April <laughs> for you. Yeah, I think for but March, March 13th, I think for me was that's when I got the order to stay home from work. And the kids were at spring break or on spring break at the time or what became an extended spring break. And then we got the news, obviously, um, that they would be home for the duration or at least for an extended period of time, which became the duration um, of the of the academic year. So I guess it was mid-March, really. Yeah. And I, I should mention that about two years ago when we were starting to look for a house, Erica wanted a nice, small, cozy kind of cottage-like <laughs> thing. And we instead wound up with about 3,000 square feet in South Providence. Turns out that was useful. Yes, we're very ha happy to have it. <laughs> very happy to be spread out around three floors. And I get I get the third floor up on like the garret where everybody leaves me. Nice. Um, and it is a lovely home as well. Um, so how have you been managing being on the four, well, the sits of you, uh, if I count the beds at home, and how are you managing that? that's new situation well so i think stress management wise um you know for sam and i we we manage stress very very differently and i think it's something that we've yeah we're, we're still growing as because when you know sam and i were were dating actually when we we're like first dating when yeah. He yep. first got diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. Um, so I think the process of being in a neurodiverse relationship has evolved for for both of us as we we both learn what that means um, and how to communicate well with the other. Um, and and stress is it's a particularly difficult thing because we experience stress in very different ways. And what we need in times of stress is is pretty much the opposite. <laughs> of the other person so when we're both stressed at the same time it can be particularly challenging um like we might be let's say in a pandemic as we're in right now um and i don't know if you have a perspective sam on i think we've well, gotten a lot better at this but we've only had one really true meltdown in like the you know six or eight weeks we've been at this which is for us it's pretty good. pretty amazing yeah. um <laughs> but on the other I, I, the other thing I, i've actually realized for me working from home or i think we, we call it we like to call it working remotely i'm not sure why why it's different but anyway mm. that um i actually find myself less stressed because I don't have to be around people, but I, mean, I interact with people online, but I, I don't have to be around people, you know, popping into my office or actually sitting across the table from them. So I actually find myself a lot calmer. Um, You're thriving in this environment. <laughs> but I, but then on the other hand, Erica is far more stressed. And so I have to figure out how to uh, be empathetic and understanding. Well, I'm also yeah. really, because the nature of my job is on one hand, well, the sort of social stress is far lower. The actual like work stress is completely bonkers. As an emergency management director, you know, at a major university in the in the middle of the greatest public health crisis in over a century. So, yeah, yeah. and um, you know, I think my my job too is that the primary uh, revenue driver of the Providence Public Library has obviously been <laughs> uh, high high stress over the past few months as we we try to keep everyone employed and well, we have a in one of our Children has some special needs. Well, it's on the spectrum as well. It's on the spectrum as yeah. well. And so we definitely, there's a lot going on in the house. And I think, you know, in times of stress, I, I want to talk about it and workshop it and express my feelings. And I don't. And Sam definitely does not. Uh, <laughs> he wants to process. Um, talking, you know, talking about my stress makes me more stressed. Right. We have very different, like I process, you know, by, by talking about it with others. I think Sam processes best internally so i have this very mm -hmm. external processing um 
processing process. You know, Sam's is internal and mine's external. And again, that's a, you know, I think that's been a learning experience for both of us over several years that we've actually put to some good practice now, given, you know, that we're in this situation. I need to learn when Sam needs space and he has hit the point of overload um, and can't handle any more information from me or emotion. Um, and I've had to learn that, you know, for, for him, that's actually like, it's not because he doesn't want to be there for me or support me or that, it, and it, it it doesn't mean that he's not. I've just exceeded my capacity. Right. It doesn't even mean that you're not empathetic toward me. You actually are. It just, you, you actually, like, I think it gets to a point where the things that I say aren't, aren't actually making sense um, in his brain. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do reach a, I literally reach a point for like an auditory standpoint where I, I can hear the person perfectly well. But it's like mm -hmm. they're might as well be speaking a foreign language. Uh, their words no longer make sense. My brain has reached the point where it can no longer, literally, can no longer process language. And I have to put my hand up. At least this part we've worked out. I put my hand up and say, "I'm sorry, I'm done." Yeah, yeah. And I've had yeah. to learn that doesn't mean like I don't love you, I don't care about you. It means I actually <laughs> I'm just done. <laughs> I'm done. I can't actually understand <laughs> you right now. Um, so that's it's definitely a dance and a balancing act between, you know, Sam. Um, it's sort of extending his capacity sometimes. Is that fair to say, love, that Trying you extend it at like some point as, as best you can to to be there and support me in the ways that I need and me realizing that I need to let Sam watch Contagion because that is comforting to him right now. <laughs> <laughs> I am not one of those people who finds that very comforting. Panic in the streets from the late 50s filmed on location in New Orleans is actually probably my go-to. <laughs> and I need to watch, you know, um, Emma or Disney Queer Wedding. Eye or just not, not pandemic or like disaster related <laughs> films. <laughs> I'll tell you the one who's made out of this deal is our Labrador Retriever, who we realized has not been alone in at least eight to ten weeks. Yeah, We're that's actually the dream. That when the time comes that we all go back to work and school, that he's gonna like have a he's gonna just completely flip out. But yeah, segue there. Did did we answer yeah. your questions? I have no idea. <laughs> Absolutely. No, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, in terms of coping mechanisms, you you have mentioned a couple of them, but have there been any that you have? to invent now that you're in quarantine and well quarantine um i know that's not the correct word but that's what everybody uses but any new coping mechanisms that you have in your either your relationship with each other or with your kids or um just with yourself yourselves <laughs> yes we have so we have an old volkswagen camper van and when we have the we you know we had the kids for a good like eight weeks straight so we, oh, we we didn't clarify that we're we're in oh, a blended family and right, but the kids live with us primarily right. and so they we and then throughout the worst this or the height of this we we had them for a good solid eight weeks nonstop and so the we uh, several times have set up the <laughs> order delivery both alcohol and dinner and set up, <laughs> and set up the camper van and gone and had a dinner had a, like a date night in the camper van that's a great idea. Yeah, it's just been fantastic. In fact, we gave the kids instructions that they were not to come bother us under any circumstances. <laughs> one of them said, "Well, what if the house is on fire?" I said, "We can, we will be able to see it from the van." From the van, yeah. <laughs> but also, um, that's why you have the camper van, right? Log <laughs> 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 out. Grab the cat. Come in the van. Everything's good. 
Um, yeah. But no, that's and that was like uh, Sam. Sam, you know, went to extra lengths to make it to make it special. Like Erica it was a, grand gestures. Like it was a restaurant, um, and I loved mm. that. And we actually, it really, it really did help um, a lot. So I think that's a that's a new and fun coping mechanism. I I do think Sam alluded to it earlier. Um, the space that we have is very helpful. We've all sort of posted up in our own workspaces throughout the house during the day. Mm -hmm. And I think just having having that gives us some like some separation between like weekday work and school time um, and allows us to have to make it you know, have a little bit of work life balance, which I think one of us is better at than the other. But I won't say which Sam uh, is better. <laughs> Well, that's one of my coping mechanisms. I've just learned I just have to walk away. Now the weather's getting nice. At least I can go sit in the backyard with the dog. But we, um, in the evening, try as much as we can to sort of have a, cock a cocktail hour and sort of just sort of regroup and check in, just the two of us, and kind of get the kids to leave us alone for a little while, you know, kind of between sort of the end of the work day and then the start of, like, evening routine with dinner and homework and what have you. And that's sort of, I think that's helped, especially with the neurodiverse piece, because it's, it's a time where I can maybe check in with Sam about things that are going on with me or my day or concerns and questions mm. that I have. And it's also like sort of an expected time when Sam knows that that's coming up, which is often something that really helps you, I think. It's also helped Drizzly's, manage. It's also helped, helped Drizzly's stock value. Yes. A hundred percent. But yeah, and I think it's interesting because you know prior to covid we always talked about or tried to like build in like you know it you know time for us us, us time us time but time for us to talk um and especially when like sam was expecting it because again that's really helpful for you and and yes i don't like to have to talk to people when i'm not anticipating it i need a little bit of like lead in so i know it's coming yeah. i mean literally it, it's i mean it does sound funny i guess but and I have yeah, but to, it really does help you. I have to be in a mental space to interrupt, to interact with others. Like that's why I hate getting phone calls because I'm sort of not prepared to talk to somebody. I can well, do it. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Actually, this actually I never thought about that until this very moment. That that's why I hate the phone. So it's that I'm not prepared to talk to somebody, but I, yet I feel compelled to answer it sometimes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, actually, I think that's a way in which maybe like this has gone better for us because we sort of have this built-in check-in time whereas before in particular with my work um mm -hmm. as a development professional and oh, nonprofit God. executive i'm i used to be out all the time at donor meetings and events and cocktail hours and so when i got home was variable um you know in which the evening which just actually has been a source of major stress before. yeah yeah it used to be just you know that's just sort of difficult to navigate because i would come home and want to you know dive into talking about my day or want to mm -hmm. connect with sam and sam may not have been at the right moment for that or would have settled into his like relaxing routine in the evening mm -hmm. um and i i interrupted that <laughs> erica can't you see i'm trying to relax <laughs> 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 and I wanted to relax by talking to him, which is the opposite of how he relaxes. <laughs> well, I think I think actually just not knowing when you're going to get home or thinking you're going to be home at one time and you're an hour and a half later because something came up is probably, for me, difficult to manage. So this is, you make it, it, it still happens, but you're, you're, it's just that you're doing it via Zoom. So at least you're 
physically here, it's a little less unsettling. And I find that the the meeting times, even when I'm at like on a virtual cocktail hour stick to with a donor, yeah, like it's, it seems to be like we will stick to an hour on Zoom, whereas like, you know, if I was at an in-person cocktail hour, that could go on. It was supposed to be an hour, I could go on for two hours and it would be very difficult for me to to extricate myself from the situation. <laughs> See, I think that Zoom is actually the equalizer here in terms of neurodiversity because nobody really likes communicating via Zoom. So basically everybody is like in the same boat that I normally am. Yeah, after, about an hour, after, after about an hour. Right. Yeah, where you're like, right. you're talking and interacting, but it's, you can tell that it's not the real thing per se. So you're like, I would like to be out of this situation when I'm designated to be. Yeah. I don't want to linger in any capacity. Yeah, it's just and it's just awkward enough, and the audio gets garbled enough, which is my own experience. It's, it has all the it has all the same problems. <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to figure out social cues, like or yeah. like you know on you know sort of the um like body movements or, and all, know, all those nonverbal cues, which I know are hard for you or, anyway. It's impossible on Zoom. Face because of something I said, or because of the email he's reading when he's supposed to be on our call. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. right. I don't actually know it, George. I'm just using it. Yeah. Um, so is there any other communication strategies that you've used uh, now that you're working from home or working remotely, depending on where you're working, um, that you didn't explore before and it's been helping you to move better? I think you've been better at leaving me alone. Yeah, I think I have. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving people alone, the ultimate communication strategy. <laughs> it's highly underrated. In, in a neurodiverse relationship, 100%. Um. <laughs> no, actually, I think when we started this, one of my great, Erica communicates very extensively, frequently, and thoroughly. Which is why I'm great at my job. And as I mentioned earlier, like even a text message or whatever, like if I'm not, if I'm not expecting to have to communicate, then suddenly I have to it. Could just kind of rattles me a little bit and so one of my worries was we're actually in the house together that it was i was gonna have like non-stop in-person communications um and actually um that's actually wound up not being a problem like erica's been probably because she's so busy herself as well but um erica has been um very respectful of like letting me do my thing and not popping in too often and so on so actually the better leaving each other alone has actually been helpful or like leaving each other to our like respective workspaces during the day, like as if we were properly like at work, um, I think has been helpful. And it's funny, like even though he's on the third floor and I'm in the dining room, like I I, I would, I, I find myself texting him every now and again, like I would at work. Like I realized I could just go upstairs uh, <laughs> and <laughs> ask Sam a question, but I do think respecting that space has been helpful like for him and for us um you know because that's the, it's, it's become his his workspace and his his you know his space during the day and you know like like he wouldn't anticipate me barging in the door at his workplace in the middle of the day unannounced um unless it was for like a very awesome reason um you know like i i think that it would be possible it. because you'd get lost on the way there and have to call me for directions probably and spoil the surprise. probably that is erica I, erica has this has this incredible tradition of getting lost and then calling me so i can tell her where she is yeah it's my favorite <laughs> thing to do <laughs> you know i'm glad to hear that i'm not the only one that does that <laughs> well i figure if i'm lost and sam is like has his he could like help 
me navigate. I, I just, but I, I am truly directionally actually, challenged. Actually, I've gotten surprisingly good at it. Like, look around. What do you see? I see a big blue bug. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've totally done that too. <laughs> uh, I, am, I am not ashamed. <laughs> no. So have you had any challenges uh, setting up a new routine? Well, it, it kind of sounds like you're loving your new routine, Sam, but is there any challenges on setting up a routine where you have to get other people in the house or you just stay upstairs? <laughs> the, well, the funny thing about like we talked about um, Erica's, you know, like having stuff to do in the evenings often, <laughs> that it means that I do occasionally have time to myself, like in the living room to just like drink a beer and watch TV. And that almost never happens because, you know, the kids have been with us nonstop and Erica at the very least is in the next room with you know, her, her work spot is the dining room table, you know, or she's, you know, but she's not gone in the evening. So I realized that just like the dog is very happy to never be alone. And I, on the other hand, like it rarely, actually, I don't know when I've been alone in the house in the last yeah, I think that's been, it's actually ended up being a challenge for me too. Like you, I started realizing that um, even the commute to work, like that time alone in the car by myself, as much as I'm an extrovert and I am, you know, I really appreciate and I, I get energy from being around people like that was really useful. And I, I miss it. <laughs> I, yeah. It turns out I needed that alone time um, to think, to process, to you know, blast my musical theater soundtrack without anyone telling me that I shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> or, or all of my Disney music, um, which are which are two of my my go to's in, in times of stress. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, that and and like anything, like a sudden and abrupt change in routine is it, it's stressful for all of us. Um, I think it's particularly stressful for folks on the spectrum. It was for Sam and it was for our oldest for sure. Um, so, it, you know, it's like we, as much like semblance of that normal schedule that we could create, we, we've tried to create. Mm -hmm. But I do like, you know, I find myself and I think Sam knows I do this. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. Maybe I'm revealing this for the first time on this podcast. Um, but I, I, so one of my majors in college was, was dance. I've been a dancer since I was three years old, my, my whole life. And I, I have found like to get alone time, quote unquote, I, I sometimes when everyone's asleep, like go down to the first floor and like plug in my, like <laughs> my iPhone and put up my headphones on and like dance for myself. Uh, and that, and, yes. I do this. I do this every now and again, and it's really useful. Um, Apparently, I'm a sound sleeper because I'm <laughs> very sound. Well, you might try to be quiet, but um, it's it's like finding those moments for yourself can be challenging. And so I've I've gotten creative, I guess, about about it's, how it's I version, do that. It's your version of pretending you're home alone. Right. Yeah. You always go to bed. Exactly. That's a great idea. I may be stealing that one. Have a solo dance party. It's it's awesome and and no one like it's like you're your own dj which means like every song is awesome <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty awesome um has there been any other positive aspects from working from home i know you mentioned that you have less social interactions uh so that's a big positive for you but is there any others that you're like I, this i want to keep i like having, i like having the dog with me he spends most of his day with me he kind of works his way around the house, but he ultimately kind of comes back up to my office space. Mm -hmm. So that, that, and that actually is uh, kind of a, a soothing or a comforting presence. He's, he's like truly therapeutic. Yeah, he is therapeutic. Well, it's all a squirrel goes by outside and then he's, 
Yeah. <laughs> everybody, who, everybody who does WebEx calls with me has like learned to be, recognize the sound of Gomez growling and. <laughs> but I mean, I do think like I mean, he is you know our our oldest emotional support pup, but he's also your emotional support pup. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I've also learned I've learned to appreciate doing um, doing WebEx calls. Like, actually, I've done a few of them in the camper van. <laughs> And I've done a few in the I've done a few in the backyard. So far, I've only had lost one iPad in the process, but it was URI's iPad, so it's okay. <laughs> oh, might have to edit that part out. That part out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's gonna stay in. <laughs> uh, it's probably um, gonna stay. <laughs> you know, uh, for me, I actually enjoy. Again, as much as I'm an extrovert, um, I, I've actually enjoyed not having to do this daily sort of rush around everywhere to a lunch meeting, like a breakfast meeting, a lunch meeting to an event at night. Um, oh, the clothing is interesting. I love, yeah, I love getting dressed up, but I, I am like living in leggings right now and I haven't worn heels in months. And I, Atticus, I know you don't know me in this way, but I don't mm -hmm. think Bima had ever not seen me in heels until this pandemic. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's just how I how I walk. I, I can't walk in flat shoes. So that so it's been um, and that is the truth. Um, I see their bare feet or heels and, and that's it. Um, <laughs> you're, you're like Agador in the birdcage. I never wear shoes. They, they make me they, fall down. They make me fall down. Yes. Uh, flat <laughs> make me fall down. Um, <laughs> it's our favorite. Um, but I I have like I have enjoyed that. I feel I feel like my pace is a little slower. I'm I'm taking time to make coffee in the morning. That that seems like such a simple thing, but it was not a thing that I was doing. And I mm -hmm. I would like to keep that those little moments, that pace, um, and yeah, and just sort of, sort of feeling. And, and and you know, I'm not sure. I think I think I'm always myself. It's it's hard for me not to be myself in some measure. But this mm -hmm. feels like a more genuinely authentic moment-to-moment -moment version of myself that I, I really enjoy. And um, I actually think that's true for my my work colleagues as well, and maybe for for Sam and I. Um, and I said so that's a, I think there's opportunity in that. Like, I would like to take all of that with me into the, the new better instead of the new normal. <laughs> yeah. I think the other thing that for me in terms of, it's not so much about our relationship, I guess, but in terms of um, my work sanity, that because of the way that I function, you know, like after, you know, if I've done like several back to back call, you know, I've spent three hours on, you know, calls and WebEx meetings, like I'm sort of de mentally depleted. And if I'm at work, I've just got to kind of like soldier on because I'm at work, I'm expected to like keep being productive. Whereas when I'm at home, I can actually, hopefully my boss won't hear this podcast, but <laughs> you know, I can stop and just go out and take half an hour to go like just sit in the backyard and listen to the birds, you know, and I'll, and I always, I mean, I work, I work far more hours every day at the moment than I'm paid for anyway, so I'm not worried about it. But but I have the flexibility to kind of control, you know, how to sort of self-manage in a way that it's actually hard to do in the physical workplace. Um, and I think actually relationship-wise that does help because I think, I think I actually function better most evenings than when I come home from being a regular. I, I, week two of all this, I, I said to Sam, like maybe working from home a day or even like a day or two a week or a day or week no, you are, I calls it working remotely or working remotely um yeah. you know it could actually be like a true accommodation for him because i noticed his energy level was different i noticed it was different with me um you know it's 
this is the CSPH, right? So like our, our sex life has been better. <laughs> uh, we love that. <laughs> and, and it's interesting. We're, we're stuck at home. What else are we going to do? But, but it's, it's, also like, it's one of these things where like I, we've always sort of been um, like two of a kind on that front. Um, but like the stress of, of life and parenthood, et cetera, I think has gotten in the, in the way of recent years. Um, of, of that being what we wanted it to be. And I, you know, I've, I think that that's, um, you know, that has improved um, and we've been able to get, get back to that, that place um, a little bit more. Uh, although, you know, like that also means we've had to tell the kids perhaps once or twice that like, not, not like, don't even knock on the door if you see it close, <laughs> unless, unless you're actively on fire or, or bleeding profusely. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I hang the cowboy hat in the door, but I don't have a cowboy hat. <laughs> On that note, this podcast is going to take a quick break. The mission of the Center for Sexual Pleasure and Health is to advance culturally inclusive, medically accurate, and pleasure-informed sexuality education, therapy, and professional training. You can email us at info at the CSPH.org or online at www.csph.org the csph.org. And now, back to your podcast. Back, everyone. Um, now we're going to change gears a little bit, and I would love to talk about a little bit about challenges with empathy, empathy or emotional conversations in your family. So if you have any insights to that that you would like to share. Absolutely. Do you want to start? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so Erica is, is Latin and South Philly Italian. So as my former, as my former therapist once said, so everything is huge. Um, <laughs> no, that's not really true, but, but, uh, Erica's family is really good at whatever's going on. They just, everybody puts it out there and it's very clear how everybody's feeling at any moment in time. And they never hold on to anything. They let it all out and work through it, which is great, except not always for me. Um, I, I do not do tears before nine o'clock has been <laughs> one, of, one of my rules. Um, but I, so anyway, I, I, the, so we, yeah, we communicate emotion in very, very different ways. Yeah. And I think I've, you know, I, I've had, it's like we speak two different languages, I think, in this way, right? I, you know, and they're and they're both informed by how we were raised, as Sam alluded to, um, and and how we, you know, how we're comfortable communicating. But for me, you know, I'm very open with my emotions. <laughs> I sorry, express, that's okay. You can laugh. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I'm a passionate expressor of of all emotion and you know, that's, that's a part of who I am. And, and for Sam, like that is often overwhelming. And, um, I, I think, well, but I think you've had to learn that I don't, you know, like everybody in your family responds immediately to anything. Well, right. But it's I, like learning a different language. Right. Like if I, I don't, I have to figure out how I'm feeling about it. And then I have to figure out how to give a name to it. Then I've got to figure out how to explain it. And then I have to actually do it. It's this incredibly complex lag. process for him. With, like for me, that just, it just, um, it's native, right? right? It's it's my native language. And I know what the, 
cues are, I know how to respond, I know what to do, I know when to give a hug, I know when to back away. And none of this is native for, for Sam. And I, it's not, it, that doesn't mean he has a lack of empathy. I actually think he has more empathy than, than many people I it's know. It's a communications problem. It's, it's, it's strictly like a communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it truly like a communications issue. Or sometimes things just don't register. But I think I've had to learn how to tell you more what's going on. Like when I'm not reacting immediately to at least say, I think I need to like figure out how I feel about that rather than just yeah. not saying anything and assuming that you know that's what's going on. Right. Yeah. Like I think, I think we, you know, earlier on in our relationship, um, you know, I would be upset about something and Sam would have an immediate reaction that was sort of like to, to push me away. Right. You know, like, or, or well, just like, to learn if you're yelling, it doesn't mean you're yelling at me. Right. That's, that's been very challenging. Um, he also had to learn happy yelling, which is a thing in my family. Also very, very <laughs> challenging. Uh, <laughs> That that comes from the Latina side of the family. Yeah. I imagine. No, actually, in Erica's family. It's it's, both it, sides, I think. No, actually. no, no, no. The South Philly Italian side has the has the mirrors like outpaced by a mile. Uh, but yeah, I've never, I've never experienced happy anything like yelling. <laughs> for my for my birthday a few years ago, Erica's parents gave me a really nice set of Bose noise canceling headphones, and I started laughing. And her mother pulled her aside later and said, "Why was Sam laughing? Did he not like his gift?" And she said, "No, mom." The loudest people he knows just gave him noise canceling headphones as a gift. <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, but yeah, so I, all of that to say, you know, I think it's like we're, we're coming at it from different ways. So I've had to learn, you know, not, not to take it personally when, when he, when, you know, Sam needs space or you know, in many ways has like, sometimes you do have like, meltdowns like that's like it's it's a sensory meltdown sure. it's a sensory overload well you also have you've also lear learned sometimes um to let me retreat working on it working on it <laughs> yeah all these things are a work in progress i mean but you've had to you've learned to let me retreat right and and which does not come naturally to you because if there's a problem you want to like go i want to solve out. it right away um and mm -hmm. sam has learned to say things like what he just said like to to let me to actually vocalize hey I'm feeling overwhelmed or I don't understand, you know, or like, you know, what you're saying right now, or I can't handle this right now, or I need to take space. Or I try to give you a timeline too. Can we talk about it this evening? Right. That, again, that took a long time to figure that out. That took a long time to figure out. Right. And that's sort of getting at what we were saying earlier about having like anticipating a conversation for him is really useful and being prepared for it versus like having it in the moment, which I am prepared to do, but you know, 99.9% .9 of the time Sam is not prepared to do. Um, so it's like, it's a, it's been a learning experience on, you know, both sides. And I always say to people, you know, my, my job, you know, is, is so like, I, I'm an excellent communicator. I could not and, do your job. And, no. and that's the part of the reason why that, that's a skill set of mine. And, and my relationship with Sam has, has challenged everything I thought I knew about how people communicate and has made me think twice about. Because yeah, none of it applies. Right, but it's also made me think twice about, you know, how how humans communicate in general, how they can or should, or and it's it's, uh, you know, in in many ways, it's made me a much much better communicator. I think um, overall, being being with Sam, and I, I hope you you would say it's made you more. What? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think we've also had to work out how to. It's made you a better communicator yeah. too, actually. You tend to repeat information to keep me updated. 
Oh yeah. Whereas I tend to assume that once you told me something, that that status will remain until you tell me otherwise. So if you if you've told me if I've told you once that I love you, you assume that I love you until I tell you that I don't love you anymore, and therefore I don't need to repeat it all that often. You know, or if I don't feel well in the morning, at some point I'm going to say, "Oh, I'm feeling better now." So like, just so you know, I'm okay. Whereas you'll tell me, you know, five times before 10 a.m. you're not feeling well, and then text me, and then you know, send me an emoji of you like green and throwing up. And right. Yeah, I just continue to. It was kind of like I got it. I heard same information. <laughs> this is challenging in um, in a COVID nineteen world where it's like I'm I'm anxious about I'm still anxious about this thing, still anxious about this thing. So um, I've I've tried to to moderate. The amount of times I tell Sam a thing, that's very difficult. Um, but it also, there's a flip side to that too, right? I think the the flip side is I'm often, like I'm, I'm a bigger picture thinker. I am much better at absorbing the emotions of, of the kids. And that's usually my role. Um, you know, like I, I do that a lot more than Sam in our family. I, I can take them in and process them and help them in a way yeah, they know that not can to, be they know not to bother with overwhelming me. for Sam. Um, <laughs> that's not true, but it can be overwhelming for you. You're, you're, you know, you're there when they need you, but it's, it's overwhelming, you know, and I, I also think like executive function wise, like I can hold, I can hold a lot more in my brain at one time than Sam can. So I can hold seven things. I've counted <laughs> if you anything, anything to hold in my brain. I invariably, I lose them all. It's all over. <laughs> um, so it's also like, and this is, I think true for like, you know, and maybe, you know, something if, if anyone's in a neurodiverse relationship, it's like leveraging your strengths in the relationship. Um, mm -hmm. we, we both have very different strengths. And when we work together, it is like Captain Planet. Like we can, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> well, you know, if, if um, one of the best things I've, speaking of strengths, one of the best things that I've heard said about that, that I've, one of the first things I read when I began to suspect that I was on the spectrum and I was diagnosed because our oldest our daughter was diagnosed Which and i began reading her report typically happens for yeah, your, often your happens. Age yeah or... as an as an adult i began reading a report and eh, this, some of this stuff sounds kind of like me and which led to my being diagnosed one of the first things i read was a book by john elder robeson um who's well known for his brother wrote running with scissors uh, about their about their child their very strange childhood uh but john elder robeson who's actually from massachusetts and a fellow motorhead among other things um, wrote a book about being diagnosed at about the same age that I was, um, with, that all of a sudden explained all these things about his life. But And he had lots of really good advice. But one of the things he said that really resonated with me was he said it was people on the spectrum. There are a whole bunch of things we're really not that great at. Um, and there are a bunch of things that we can be really good at. He said, so if you spend your time trying to fix this, the things that you suck at, you're probably never, you're not wired right for them. And so you're probably never really going to be good at those things. So like reading people's emotions, the best you'll ever be is mediocre. But at the same time, you have these things that you're really good at that you can really capitalize on. So you, you got to pick where to spend your energy. And my recommendation is that you spend the energy on the things that you're really good at so that you become excellent at them. And those things are what people will remember far more than the things that you are at best mediocre at. And I think I've tried to do that in our relationship. I, I think I've had to become mediocre a few things by necessity. But <laughs> yeah. Doesn't mean you can't improve, <laughs> but that's yeah, my, 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 my love gestures. I'm never going to be good about cards. I've just given up on the fact that <laughs> I, I, despite my desire and intention to be good about cards, you know, I don't like keeping wall, uh, Walmart, Hallmark in business. Sorry. hope they're not one of your commercials. 
and <laughs> right but i you know but i am like really good at like making a nice meal and like going the extra distance to like set it up in the camper van and pretend it's the the la trattoria from mickey blue eyes and that happened yeah uh, <laughs> um so that i think that's right, i think that's and, a good and advice. it's like and and it's you know at the same token you know I, i'm never going to be necessary i'm not going to be perfect at doing what sam needs me to do every time but i know where i can like leverage what my strengths are to help our family and and so can he and we appreciate those things about each other you know i think like from my perspective he has some really incredible see like his brain is just like it's amazing to me and how it functions is so different from mine but i think the same is true when you look at how my brain functions and so it's a real connection point. I think one of the most important things we do is we laugh a lot. Yeah. At ourselves, at each other, and at things in general. Um, and that like saves the day in many cases. Yeah. Um, Erica, I think we should have done this at the beginning, but I'll do it now. Uh, you are the share of the CSPH, so, um, and you're the outgoing share. We're all very sad. Um, but do you want to share a little bit about your experience at the CSPH um, and what uh, they have done for you and all that wonderful stuff? Sure. Um, so, yes, I've been on the board for about six, six years, which is amazing. Six long years. Uh, <laughs> um, I love that. I have no, no actually, I'm, I'm sorry. No, I, have to I get to, I, no, you don't get to interrupt. I just, no, <laughs> I just, I made a snark. <laughs> Comment, and I just wanted to elaborate that actually the CSPH are the most amazing group of people and the most accepting of my like neurodiverse quirks um, that I've ever been around. Yeah, I will say that, um, and then I will I will answer the question, love. But oh, I will say that I think Sam has felt, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Like, no, I don't talk. I can't. That um, you can't talk. But uh, that that well, and like maybe this is like a good starting point into what the CSPH has has given. <laughs> me and has done for me um but you know when i when i first found the organization i was new to rhode island and new to providence and was looking for my my fellow queer folk and was looking and also was looking to join a board um i you know my whole career has been in the nonprofit sector but i was looking to join you know a board or two to get that experience but i wanted to make sure it was an you know an organization that i cared a lot about and i went to an event hosted by the Rhode Island Foundation, where they were looking, you know, in particular for younger career board members. And, you know, being the type A student that I am, I did my research beforehand. And I looked at the list of who was going to be at this event. And the Center for Sexual Pleasure and Health was on the list. And I was like, excuse me, what? This is a nonprofit. Like, what do they do? Does this exist? And I went to their website. And I just remember feeling like I I have to talk to these people. Um, and I feel like so many of us come to the center in that way. Like I just, I have to talk to these people. You're you're putting pleasure and health in the same like phrase. I have to talk to you. Um and and I did, and and that was sort of it. <laughs> it was it was love at first meeting. <laughs> um and I, it's just been a privilege to be a part of an organization like the CSPH. Um, you know, I, I think on, on a personal level, level as a queer woman, they, they've helped me become openly out. They've made me feel confident and secure in my sexuality. And I, and I love that, especially as a parent, 
that an organization like this exists, um, you know, to, to help everyone, you know, to, to me, it's just, it's about that what the CSPH does beyond therapy and support groups and education and all it's help people stand in their own truths and be who they are. Um, and, and not apologize for it and know how to do that in a healthy way in a safe way and a happy way and a joyous way and in a pleasurable way. And it's, um, it's a privilege to be a part of that work. And they've done that for me. And I think they've done that for like, for us and, and our in relationship and help us, you know, feel it is, it's somewhat type of like, I, I mean, like Sam, I, you, you weren't actually out with ASD until a couple of years ago. I mean, that was, it was taboo for you to even, you know, say, Hey, I'm a, I'm a person with autism and you know, like what that meant for you professionally, personally, but there is somewhat taboo to talk about, you it's know, a, that a, in our relationship. It's an interesting parallel because then what it is, you know, ha, you know, having friends that I, or what I sometimes refer to as the queer spectrum, you know, that there's a certain point when you sort of come out as being, and I don't want to say they're the same thing because they are vastly different. Um, but, but sort of coming out as being on the spectrum, there's a certain, once you do that, it's, you can kind of say, you know, yeah, fuck it. Okay, everybody can like deal with it. Sorry, yeah. can I say that on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> we but can bring that out. <laughs> this moment, I think, you know, for both of us of just like, you know, what it means to be ourselves, what it means to be us as a couple, feeling comfortable as a couple saying like, on a podcast, like we're neurodiverse, like, you know, one of us is queer, we love each other. And we have a wonderful family and and all of that is so I would not have been able to say any of those things without the center and I yeah I'm gonna try not to cry on the podcast <laughs> I want to get the t-shirt that says I have autism and she's Italian <laughs> and Latina we can make that happen <laughs> uh we can totally make that happen um so we're coming up at the end of the podcast, but I would like now to poke you a little bit about advice to our listeners. So what would be a thing that you want neurotypical persons to know? Or like neurodiverse couples, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think be patient, be open-minded, and be receptive to somebody communicating in a language you're not used to. We've talked, we talked quite a bit about love languages based on a, I forget who the author was, but a book we had. And, you know, Erica realized that like my love language is different than hers. You know, I, the things that I do to express love are different than what, what she does and what she expects and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So you have to, so looking at the, somebody's intention rather than, you know, the words that came out or, what have you is what matters. What's your advice? No, I think that's I, I would sort of echo all of that. I also think, you know, and this is it, like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of negative things on the internet about being in a neurodiverse relationship. And mm -hmm. it is hard, right? It is it is challenging, it's com it's complex, it involves meltdowns. Uh, <laughs> but maybe all relationships involve meltdowns. Yeah, there's uh, a lot know, of stuff that says it can't but, work. Right, there's a lot of stuff that says it can't work and, and it absolutely can. Um, and it does involve like, it involves both parties being willing to, to really listen to the other person to you know uh, 
be, be willing to to work on things and shift and change when you and being like being willing to stand up for yourself when you like when a boundary has been hit and say like hey I need this but also at the same token being willing to you know for yourself be like oh I I could have handled that better like I realized that you needed this and I wasn't able to give it to you right now um so there's a lot of you know that involved but I and being willing to own own your own stuff own I, your I, own I, your shit yeah which, which we those all have are, those of us <laughs> on the spectrum don't tend to be really good at I think I've had to learn um, my stepfather, years, many, many years, or my, my dad, if you, my other dad, um, we have an amazing relationship, but he, he told me years ago that he has uh, long since decided that he basically always owes my mother an apology for something, and it's one of the keys <laughs> to the success of their marriage. He will <laughs> apologize preemptively, because even if the thing in question wasn't something he actually did wrong, at some point he's going to do something wrong, so he might as well just go and apologize now. And it's become this like funny thing between it the has, two of them, right. yeah. Which goes back to having a sense, you know, having a sense of humor to make things work. But you know, I, it, apologies are also another tricky thing for people on the spectrum, and I've had to learn to apologize. You know, you know, I mean, I think it was necessarily my fault, but I'm apologizing because I'm sorry that Eric is upset, whether I actually did it or not. And that has helped. That is that shift in perspective has been really useful. Or just sort of like, you know, um, appreciating the other's truth, you know, and and mm. respecting it is is huge. Mm. Um, but it it and laughing and laughing, it absolutely can work. And I, I actually, it's made me a much better human. And I, you know, I want to send that message out there. I think it's really important because I think a lot of folks on the spectrum, you know, feel like they might not be mm. able to have a, a relationship like you know, you and I have, and I feel like maybe there's a lot of neurotypical people like, like me who are uncertain about a relationship with someone on the spectrum. Don't, don't, and, yeah. Don't read the internet. Remember the internet yeah. is a place where you can find <laughs> the internet is a place where you can find advice to take chloroquine to defeat <laughs> coronavirus. So why don't we, why don't we, why don't we finish? Why don't we finish on this? I know I've said it to you before, but in case you weren't up to date or aware, I love you wife unit. I love you husband unit. Thank you. Everybody. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Atticus. Thank you, Vima. This, thank you, CSBH. This has been fun. That's amazing. Thank you, both of you, for coming on on our very first episode. Um, yeah. Hopefully, we can make this a recurring um, appearance from both of you or either one of you separately at some mm -hmm. point in the future. But we love yeah. to have you. Um, thank you. So, yeah. Thank you. Love both. Doing it. All right. Thank Thanks, Thanks, everyone. Support CSPH. I'm off. I'm off to go make dinner. That's my love. <laughs> I'm off to make dinner. That's my love language. <laughs> We'd like to thank you for joining us. Virgin Territories is a podcast by the CSPH, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing culturally inclusive, medically accurate, and pleasure-guided sexuality education, therapy, and professional training to adults. To learn more about the CSPH, please visit our website at thecsph.org. There you can sign up for our newsletter, and if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider making a donation to support our work.